you know, this is the season of Lent, which culminates in Good Friday and Easter as well. And the purpose of this series is to highlight how, Jesus, how we seek Jesus with all of our hearts will lead us to find our ultimate hope, joy, and satisfaction in Him and Him alone. Because that's what this season is about, ultimately. And oftentimes we give up things for Lent. We give up chocolate or candy or soda or TV or whatever. Um, either because we ultimately want to genuinely uh, sacrifice something for God to bring us closer to Him, or because it's just something our culture does and we want to do it. And that's good. We should, we should be about that. We should be able to have self-discipline as a sacrifice to God. That's good. He looks favorably upon that. But more importantly, He desires our hearts. And that's what He says in Jeremiah 29. He says, You will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And when we seek after Jesus with all of our hearts, we'll not only find him, but we'll also find our true life in him. And this sermon series will lead us up to our special Easter service, which we're entitling Rise, A New Creation. And you won't want to miss that. So this morning, we're going to look at... about it, or you're kind of uncomfortable talking about it because of its association with certain Christian movements. But healing is something that I think all of us need to have the right perspective on because the Bible has a lot to say about healing. But I want, what I want to do this morning is zero in on one particular passage in the Gospels, Matthew chapter 9, that many of us know but we may have not have explored very deeply. So if you have your copy of God's word, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, verse 18. Uh, and, and, while, and while you're uh, um, seeking after that, I just want to, uh, to say this morning, having some trouble with the mic, you're going to stand back, right? This morning I uh, had the privilege of doing coffee, which was great. I've never done coffee before here. It's a, it's a ministry we have. The fact that you get to drink coffee means somebody had to make it. Uh, and uh, I just want to say how appreciative I am of all the people that make Sunday morning happen. Somebody had to cut up the communion bread. Somebody had to pour the communion juice. Somebody had to make the coffee. Somebody had to greet you. Somebody had to make sure all this was coordinated. So I just want to say uh, just a big thank you. I want to give you guys a round of applause for everybody who makes Sunday morning happen. Like I said last week, this is a team effort. There's no I in team. It's not one person. It's every single person who helps out with Sunday. So I'm thankful for that. So, uh, but before we get into my message, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time that we can come here, that we can worship you, that we can fellowship with others. I pray that you'll help us to know you so that we can make you known this morning, Lord. I pray that you'll open our hearts and our minds and our eyes to the different truths that you want us to learn this morning. For it's all in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So Matthew 9, 18 through 19 says this. It says, while Jesus was talking, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. So you have a man here. He's a leader in a synagogue. He's coming to Jesus and he's asking Jesus to heal his daughter. Now, some translations will say that this man's name was Jairus. In fact, I think if you look at Mark and Luke, they call him Jairus. 
And the interesting thing about being a ruler in the synagogue, as Jairus was, is he held a dual role as a religious leader and a community leader as well. Because Jewish life was so intricately woven into the culture, religious leaders were often considered community leaders as well. Now, when you look at this particular instance in the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke, Jairus is a guy who loves Jesus. You can see that all throughout And he bows before Jesus. Now that may seem insignificant. You might think it's a cultural thing. And it is. But it's more significant than sometimes we realize. Because you don't bow before just anybody. You bow before someone who you view as your king or as your ruler. And he bows before Jesus as his king and as his ruler. Okay. This tells us where Jairus' heart is at. He believes in Jesus. And he reveres him as his king. That's why it's so easy for somebody like Jairus to go to Jesus and tell him about his dead daughter and to ask for her resurrection. Because he believes that Jesus is a king who can actually do something about it. I mean, you look at his faith. He says, my daughter has just died, but come put your hand on her and she's going to live. He has such faith in the power of Jesus that just the touch of his hand will produce a miracle. And when you look through the Gospels, you see that Jesus thinks very highly of people who have very humble faith. And that sounds like a simple thing, but it's true. He looks upon such humble faith as being one of the highest and most desirable characteristics a person can have. And this particular episode is is interesting because if you go back a couple chapters in Matthew, you see healing after healing after healing after healing. And the people who get healed, they all have one thing in common. They have an unwavering, childlike faith in Jesus Christ. So because of Jairus' faith, Jesus immediately with his disciples goes so he can heal his daughter. But Jesus gets sidetracked. Says this, verses 20 through 22. Said, just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed. At that moment. So first you have Jairus, who is this well-respected synagogue and community leader. And now you have a woman. Now, as I've mentioned profusely from this pulpit, women were at the bottom of society's ladder back then. But this wasn't just any woman. This was a woman who was sick. Now, this isn't any kind of sickness right here. This isn't strep throat or anything. This is a case of menstrual bleeding. Now, if you recall, under the law of Moses, if you were a woman who came up to her, I have to be delicate about this, her monthly cycle, you were considered ritually unclean, and you couldn't participate in certain Jewish rituals 12 times a year, okay? But this woman that we meet has been bleeding for 12 whole years. That means that during those 12 years, she's been on the, on the outside, on the margins of Jewish life and practice because she's considered to be unclean. And therefore, she's been shunned by her community. 
But add to this the fact that this constant bleeding would have made her so weak, she'd be anemic. So you pair this with the fact that this woman has been shunned by her community for being unclean, and the fact that that she's so physically weak, she's in desperate need of healing. And she believes that just by touching Jesus' garment, she's going to be healed of her sickness. Now, this is interesting symbolism right here. You, you, you might just catch it if you don't read it close enough. Jesus would have worn a garment, as most Jewish men did and sometimes do today, that would have had over 600 tassels on the edges, all of which symbolizes the rules and regulations that the Jewish people had to follow. And to me, this symbolizes that this woman isn't just seeking physical healing. She's seeking reconciliation back to her community, symbolized by those tassels, which symbolize those rules and those regulations that people need to follow in order to be a part of the community of God. So you have a woman of great faith, of great sickness, and great relational depression coming to Jesus, hoping to just touch his garment. That's another thing that shows her great faith, okay? She doesn't believe that Jesus even has to acknowledge her or even say anything. All she has to do is touch a piece of his clothes. And Jesus rewards her persistence and her great faith by saying, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Now that's significant because remember, this is a woman who probably hasn't had any sort of fruitful friendship or relationship for over 12 years. And yet Jesus affectionately calls her daughter. And for her, this healing wasn't just physical. It was spiritual and it was relational. Now I don't think this is a random instance, okay, that Matthew chooses to insert here. It cuts the story of Jairus' daughter in half. And I think there's a purpose here, which I'll explain in a little bit. So Jesus, he heals the woman, and then we cut back to the story of Jairus' daughter. It says this. It says, when Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, go away. This girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. Now, when you read this upon first blush, you're, you're going to be like, well... It's kind of weird. You know, you have a noisy crowd, they're playing flutes, and you're like, isn't this like a funeral or something? It's it's kind of weird to our modern ears. But you have to remember that this is one of the, the greatest leaders in this community, and his daughter has just died. And that means that the whole community would have gathered around him, and you would have had family and even professional mourners as well. And those playing the, the pipes are most likely those folks who are playing really somber, kind of sad, depressing music. So the scene, there's a lot of people here, they're really talking, but it's also kind of somber, kind of sad, it's kind of mournful. And Jesus and his disciples walk right into it. And Jesus straight up tells them to go away. Now this is interesting, because normal people wouldn't do this. Okay, you wouldn't just be like, go, leave, We sometimes think of Jesus as being this really tender, compassionate, soft character that loves everybody and is open to everybody, accepts everybody. But in reality, he can be kind of brusque. He tells people who are mourning to just go away. And not only that, he disrespects the dead girl by just saying, she's asleep. He diminishes the fact that she's dead. 
And this garners some laughter from the mourners, which nobody understands. Why would you laugh at this? I've read a bunch of commentaries on this, and they don't even understand it either. But Jesus told these people that the girl was just asleep. And they chuckled. They probably thought Jesus was an idiot for thinking that. So Jesus cuts into this mournful party, and he tells the folks what's what. And the text goes on to say this. It says, after the crowd had been put aside outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News spread through all that region. And here's the fascinating part. When you're a healer in the ancient world, your goal wasn't just to heal. It was to impress. And these healings would be very, very public. And the healer would use these long-winded incantations and spells, kind of like you find in Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or something like that. Because they wanted to demonstrate their power for everybody to see. But this scene is a little different. Jesus doesn't want to make a public spectacle out of this by any means. Because he knows that what he's about to do will be even more impressive. And that's why he tells the folks to go outside. And if you read other gospel accounts of this story, you'll read that when Jesus sees the girl, he tells her this phrase in Hebrew, Talitha Kumi. Say it. Great. And the book of Mark, Mark gives the explanation that this means, little girl, wake up. Or little, little girl, get up. But that's only kind of a halfway decent translation. Because if you were to really translate this into our language, it would literally read, up girl. Up girl. Up girl. Plain and simple. There's no long incantations. There's no spells. There's no magic. No publicity. Just up girl. And she gets up. And the news of this spreads across the region. What Jesus did was more notable and more powerful than anything else that these folks had ever seen before in their lives. There's something different about this healer. Now, like I said, these two stories kind of cut into each other a little bit. Okay, the story of Jairus' daughter being healed and the woman with the bleeding for 12 years. They, they cut into each other a little bit. And I don't think it's random, because nothing in Scripture ever is random. You have Jairus, a well-respected leader in the Jewish community, And a sick woman who's probably been shunned by the same community. One is ritually clean because he has to be. The other is ritually uncleaned. One's a man. The other is a woman. But both are people of great faith. Come lay your hands on my daughter. If I could only touch the hem of his garments. And Jesus heals them both with the power of God. We'll come back to that in a moment. It goes on to say, As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. And Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. So you look at that same episode. You have an episode, you have a lot of the same kind of elements, okay? People who need healing, they walk up to Jesus, he demonstrates their faith so that he can heal them, and then they receive healing. 
But there are a few layers to this passage that kind of adds a, another uh, layer of, of uh, richness to this as well. When it says that the blind men followed Jesus, it literally meant that they followed him physically. But they also followed him spiritually as well. And the evidence you see here of that is that they call him the son of David. Now, if you're a faithful Jew, you know what happens when the son of David comes. Great things are going to happen. And one big thing that will happen is that the blind will see again. Now, if you survey the Old Testament, you won't find a single instance of somebody being healed from blindness. That's because God said in the book of Isaiah several times that one of the greatest, most obvious signs of the coming of the son of David is that the blind would see again. And you know what? Healing the blind is one of Jesus' most frequent miracles you see all throughout the Gospels. And these blind men believe wholeheartedly that Jesus is the son of David who is ushering a whole new world order where the blind see again. And their faith in Christ brings about their healing. But Christ gives them the warning. He says, don't, don't tell anybody about this. And you see Jesus do this pretty often. And we just ignore it because it just sounds kind of weird, right? But the reason he does this is because he doesn't want to be known as the guy who performs miracles. Just another healer. Because he's got a more important mission to fulfill. And he doesn't want anybody to think he's just a healer. The text goes on to say this. It says, while they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. Now, you don't really see the faith aspect at play here. The focus is simply on Jesus healing a man who's simultaneously mute and demon-possessed. Now, that man wouldn't have had any faith since the demon took over his body and his soul. But Jesus chooses to heal him anyway. That's pretty basic. There's not much to explore here. But here's why this is significant. You think about the level of healing that you first saw in the passage. First, Jesus heals a woman who has incredible sickness. Then he brings a girl back to life. These are things that you would have seen in the Old Testament in a handful of circumstances. Then Jesus heals a blind man, blind men, which signals that the kingdom of God is here and then to top it all off, he drives demons out, which means that this new world order being initiated is by the coming of Christ. The kingdom of God is here. It started. The Son of God is here. This whole new world order is starting right now. And over the course of all these things, the crowd recognizes the, the, the glory, the splendor of all this kind of stuff, which is why they exclaim, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. And of course, the Pharisees, they catch wind of all this stuff, and they're like, well, it's by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Haters going to hate, right? So just to recap, Jesus raises a girl from the dead, he heals the woman with a 12-year sickness, he makes the blind see again, and he drives out demons from a man. And in three out of those four instances, you see that all these people have faith that Jesus can and will heal them. So what does all this mean for us today here at Covenant Church? I think it means, hey, we all need healing. You know, we all need Jesus. We all need to start there because let's face it, we all do need some kind of healing. 
Either we need to be healed from the scars of sin, or we need physical healing. And as Christians, we're being continuously healed from the effects of sin. And it's a process called sanctification. And when you come to know Christ, you begin this process of spiritual healing until you die. But since this is a fallen world, we also see the effects of the fall in our own bodies as well. And as a result, many of us need healing from everything from sinus infections to cancer. Either way, we all need healing of some sort. And I think it's, a, it's important that as a church we have the correct perspective on healing. When you're praying uh, for some kind of healing, either relational or spiritual or physical, and you're not getting healed, you've got to look at your own heart and ask yourself if you have the faith that God can heal you. And when you examine yourself and you do have the faith that God can do something, then God's probably up to something else that you may not even realize. I like to think of the story of the blind man. When the Pharisees asked Jesus, well, you know, hey, was it this man's parents or did he sin? What's the cause of this blindness? You've got to blame somebody. And Jesus says, well, neither. This happens that the works of God could be displayed in him. Sometimes the reason you're not being healed right now is that God has other purposes in mind. And I also think of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, when God gave him a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble after his divine experience in the third heaven. And Paul prayed three times for this thorn in his flesh to be removed. And here's what God said to him. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul's response is this. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There's always a purpose to your suffering. And there's always a purpose to your healing. Either God's trying to bring you closer to him, or perhaps your suffering may serve as a means of showing God's power to someone else. It's all in God's sovereignty. Why did that little girl have to die? Why did that woman have to bleed for 12 years? Why were those men blind? Who knows? But one purpose was so that the church could look to their examples of faith and be encouraged. And because of this, God gets all the glory. Amen? So we need to begin with that proper perspective. That we all need healing. We all need Jesus. And our suffering may have some purpose that we don't even recognize yet. I think another thing it means is we have to ask in faith. And when you look at these instances where Jesus heals people in Matthew 9, the prerequisite for him doing so is that they believe in him. Now, God chooses to heal people as he pleases because it fits into his will. But when you look at the scriptures, there's always a link between faith and healing. And sometimes the church either tries to connect them too much or too little. All of you guys know the televangelists that promise healing if you have enough faith. And if you don't have enough faith or money, you won't be healed. Some people can and do read scripture that way. And the opposite of that thinking is that you don't need faith to be healed. God will just heal you as he pleases. You can't get that from Scripture either. There's always a link between faith and healing. And perhaps it's not as clear as we'd like. We don't know where that line is. But that takes faith. 
And I've asked Wendy Cutler, who's one of our longtime members, to share a brief testimony about how the Lord has demonstrated in her own life the power of prayer for healing. Hi. Um, I just wanted to share, we were just kind of talking about it, um, about healing. And um, I've had a couple experiences where God has healed me. But I kind of have a funny one um, that I thought was kind of interesting. What happened was, there was probably about 10 years ago, and somebody was here and they were preaching. And they said afterwards, um, do you want some prayer? And so it was really funny because it was like this long line. All these people... You know, he said to pray for healing or for some specific things. So there was this long line of people. And I had had this um, foot problem. It's called plantar fasciitis. I hope I said that correctly. Where um, it was really hard to get out of bed in the morning because your muscle in your foot is, like, really tender. And so every morning I would kind of hobble out of bed. And then as you walk on it, it becomes looser and looser. And then it becomes more comfortable. But if you sit, and I have a job where sometimes I'm sitting in front of a, a screen, and I would get up, and my foot was really hurting. And it, it was very painful. And I had prayed about it, sought the Lord about it. So I thought, oh, I'm going to just wait here, and I'm going to ask him for some prayer. So, um, And our girls were still fairly young, and so we were just, you know, waiting here. And we were like the very last people in line and um so what happened was we finally get up there and i could tell this guy was just tired he did he was done and so i asked him if you pray for my foot and he did this like lord bless her foot and heal it in jesus name and i thought is that it you know is that all you're gonna pray for me about so um i actually was a little mad i got in the car and i said john i i'm so mad we waited all that time for my foot to get healed and so it was like um and it was always the most noticeable in the morning so we get out of i got out of bed the next morning and i walked and i had no pain and i didn't think about it at first and then because it takes about 10 15 minutes to really loosen it up and um my foot was healed and um i knew it was god i never after that had a problem with my foot again and i knew god first of all god was just shown it wasn't based on me and what i did it was really the lord healing me you know and that's what it's all out sometimes you think so much that we have to have that faith we have to build it up or you know, come with certain scriptures or come in a certain place. But that's not at all what it is. It really is the Lord healing us and doing that restoration in us. So um, I wasn't really the person praying in faith. You know, I, I came to God in faith, but I really honestly did not think I'd be healed. And yet it was just this miraculous thing that God did in my life. And so I just wanted to share that with you. It's not about praying lavish prayers or laying the words on thick. It's all about asking in faith, faith that God can move. Absolutely, you got to go see doctors. Absolutely, you got to take your medicine. You have to do all that stuff. But you have to ask God in faith as well. Thanks, Wendy. I think finally, this, this whole passage says that all of creation 
is going to be healed. Jesus is the one through whom this earth and everything in it was created. And it's through Jesus that everything is being healed. And that's the gospel right there, that all the pain, all the sickness, all the suffering that you see now will be gone and everything will be made new. And we get to have a part of that if we have faith in Jesus Christ. And many of you know this passage already, but I always think it's encouraging to hear it frequently. 1 Corinthians 15. Because I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we all shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and the mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, O death! is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Like the little girl whom Jesus raised from the dead, you too will be raised from the dead. And if you have faith in Jesus, you will be healed either in this life or in the next You can be sure of that. Seek Jesus and you will find healing. And maybe you're here this morning and you do need some healing. Spiritual, emotional, physical. We have some folks, uh, we've been having some folks in the back who like to pray over people. And I encourage you, as we begin taking time for communion, if you need some prayer, we'd be happy to pray for you. Whether you need something to be healed or you just need some prayer, encouragement in the life of faith. And as I mentioned, healing may or may not come immediately. There's always a purpose behind your suffering and your healing. And Jesus prayed in the garden that the Father would stop his impending crucifixion. In fact, Jesus prayed, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But Jesus accepted the Father's will. He went to the cross and he died for our sins. And that's what we celebrate when we take communion. That healing didn't come in the form that we would have thought or embraced. It came in the death of Jesus Christ. But it's through his suffering and his death that we can have life abundant and eternal and be healed. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up here. And as we worship, I invite you to come to the front. Take a piece of bread. Dip it into the cup. Remember that Jesus has healed you. From the power of sin. He is healing you from the power of sin and the effects of the fall, and He will fully heal you in the future. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And as I said, if you need prayer for anything, anything at all, healing or anything else, I encourage you to walk to the back during worship, and we'd love to pray with you. Will you stand with me as we pray together? <clears throat>